And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I, I hope helps your business grow. So regardless of what you do, there is, in some way, shape, and form, your business has to sell something. It has to generate revenue. Therefore, it has to have some kind of sales cycle. And overwhelmingly, all of our sales cycles could use some kind of improvement. That's what we're going to talk about today. Before I introduce today's guest, today's episode, Startup Hustles Powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult, and Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has a platform to help you manage that team. Go to Fullscale.io to learn more. If you weren't aware, that's my company, and we love speaking to Startup Hustle listeners it really does only take about two minutes to answer a couple questions, let our platform match you up with some really amazing people. With me today, I've got the CEO and founder of a company that was recently on Startup Hustle's top startups in Tulsa's list. His name is Alex Zuby, and Alex is, once again, the CEO and co-founder of Arrive. That's spelled A-R-R-I-V, and you can go to ARRIV.com and learn more about his company. There's a link in the show notes for that. It's right down there near the fullscale.io link. Without further ado, Alex, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thanks, Matt. Great to meet you and uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. I look forward to the conversation. Yeah. And, you know, I always like to start those conversations with a little bit about your backstory. So, what brought you to being the CEO and co founder at Arrive? And what problem do you guys solve? Yeah, so um, we're in a pretty specific niche for healthcare. I'm sure everyone, healthcare industry or not, is pretty aware. Just massive, massive uh, consumerism push, digital transformation push uh, throughout the whole entire healthcare industry. Um, so we actually spun out of a consulting project. So my two co-founders were doing a consulting project for a health group, um, really digital marketing related, and found that all of their top of funnel acquisition efforts were leading to a online check-in platform, which is really the conversion step and uh, felt that it was maybe a bit antiquated and not necessarily built with the consumer in mind. So that the gear started to turn and, and long story short led to the formation of, of arrive. So problem we're solving, it's really twofold, which is the trickiest thing about healthcare, right? Cause solve a problem for healthcare consumers, us everyday people, and uh, obviously have to align that initiative with the healthcare operators and, and uh, make it worth, worthwhile for them. So for us, we're all about making, make finding and engaging healthcare in your moment of need more human, right? So lead with empathy for the consumer and, and try to bring a frictionless experience when people are starting their care search online and let them easily convert to, to an actual visit. And, uh, for our health systems that work with us and hospitals that work with us, it's all about new patient acquisition. So how can we help them convert their web traffic, whether it's organic web traffic, uh, paid marketing efforts, whatever it may be, 
uh, just help con- that top of funnel, new patient acquisition, and uh, get more patients into their doors. So when you talk about like the sales cycle or, you know, the, the whole digital transformation that doctor's offices go into is the problem that is their main problem that they're spending money on marketing or they're losing people in the funnel somewhere. I'm assuming like the thing's leaky. What are the, what are the holes that need to be patched to make that better? Yeah, that's, that's, (laughs) could give you about a hundred different answers for here. Well, I think every, I think every business has a leaky funnel in some regards. I mean, I, and that's not an abnormal thing. I think that businesses that learn how to fix that, okay, where's where's the biggest leak, and can we solve that first? And then sometimes you patch the leaks, and they start leaking again. Yep, yeah. typically, I'd say yeah. typically that's what happens. Uh, for us in particular, we focus on really one service line, and primarily our customers are health systems um, or micro hospitals, or in some states like Texas, Arizona, Florida, there's uh, more prevalent freestanding emergency rooms. And so for us, it, it's more the on-demand care. We're not working with like primary care or specialty care providers today. And we started really on someone's looking for care because they need it right now. And so I think the unique thing with this type of consumer behavior is they're very high intent, right? It's not like you or me searching for a new jacket online or a new pair of shoes that we might just be killing time, bored, whatever it may be may or may not make that purchase. Someone looking for an ER or an urgent care in their area, it's because they need it, right? We're not just searching online when we're feeling like 100%, a million bucks to see what high quality emergency rooms are in our area. So in that regard, it's you know, how do you just simply reduce the friction and allow them to easily convert on that search, give them the confidence that they can get high quality care here. And really that that piece of that patient pie is continuing to grow. It's, it's 10, 20 years ago, it sounds crazy to say, someone's searching online for an emergency room. What do you mean? They're probably just going to the emergency room. But especially in these larger metro areas, it's so competitive. You know, you could have three, four, five, six ERs within a similar mile radius from your house or your workplace, and you don't have a go-to place to go. So how do you make an informed decision on and feel confident and where you're going to go is the right place to get care. And at that point, uh, those folks are starting with an online search and the digital experience just means a lot to instill that confidence and set the patient experience up right to get them in the right mindset and, and you know right foot forward to get the high quality care they're looking for. Well, I'm assuming that some of that also means not routing them to, you mentioned like the general care practitioners or, or whatever, that's like, sure, we can, uh, we're not accepting new patients. Yeah, that's uh, or uh, we're available in three weeks, you know, and yep. you're, you're, you're in a now economy. Um, and I would imagine as well that, you know, th- these are in these kind of you talk about these kind of Internet searches. Um, these are that these are also competitive in the nature that, well, there's a whole lot of different things out there when searched for online that wants the, the searcher or the buyer or the patient in your case finds what they need they're done searching. Yeah. Right. Which means that they're picking the top of the, the, the top of the search results. The also for the business, they're also the most expensive that, you know, and if you're just burning through really expensive clicks and it's crazy. Like I think a lot of people, when they, when they think about 
paid, you know, CPC cost per click advertising don't really realize how expensive that top spot can be in some cases. And, you know, I have a friend who uh, runs a company that does foundation repair for homes. Okay. It's crazy how much one click is at the top of that, because usually what happens is that click, if converted properly, results in that person maybe not going and looking for other stuff. So, um, and then some things, you know, the, the, what's the value and what's the lifetime value or even the one-time value of a converted sale can be very high as well. So, you know, losing that stuff, like, I mean, at full scale, our average client spends $20,000 a month. So, You know, when you look at like, what's the lifetime value of that, considering that we provide like long-term solutions, it can be millions and, and it has been in the case of some of our clients. So in that particular case, well, I'm also the founder of gigabook.com, which is $15 a month. That is a, it takes a lot longer for that life, for that user to reach a, a, a lifetime value that, that approaches what it is at full scale. So, you know, the, these things matter. And as, as that, it, I, you know, and it, where am I going with this? Well, one of the things is I would imagine that a lot of these hospitals or ER type businesses, well, they're in the business of providing medicine right. and they're healing people and running a business are different things. So do you find yourself having to teach your clients or users anything about that? Yeah, it, it's it's a, it's an interesting parallel, right? And parallel is probably the wrong word for it. They're two complete polar opposites when you're talking about healing and operating a profitable business so you can keep your doors open. So yeah. certainly, and I think that's like any enterprise sales cycle, I think that's a lot of times what gets deals through is if you don't, you're not helping educate on the space as a whole. I mean, you consider yourself an expert in the space is why you're delivering a product, right? And so, yeah, the, the interesting piece with these marketing efforts is it's really tough to actually have visibility into the conversion of your efforts, right? Because historically, if you don't have any type of conversion mechanism or say an online check-in or a form fill, whatever it may be, for us, the conversion mechanism is an online check-in solution. And that could look and feel a lot of different ways depending on the goals of the system. But ultimately, if you're going in blind without something like this, you could be spending millions in marketing and you have really no visibility into the actual conversion. You might see who got eyeballs on it and who clicked, but you don't know if that truly led to these patients coming through your doors, right? So having the the new patient acquisition piece is attractive and measurable, but also measurable is once you start backing into the attribution of all these campaigns. So if you can say, hey, I'm running 10 paid marketing campaigns. Now I could see that these six are actually bringing me patients and you could tie revenue to that. And these four are not doing anything. Now we could try different efforts for these four or just double down and move all the spend over to the six that are working. So I think that's a beyond the black and white ROI of new patient acquisition, just the data analytics behind it and being able to measure attribution is such a critical component uh, for these marketers because um, they're typically responsible for a few different service lines as well. So it's just a lot on their plate to keep track of and it's still 
quite ambiguous if you don't have a tool like that. So uh, I'll, I'm going to openly admit that I'm a nut for onboarding. And, and essentially, that's the business you're really in. You know, I'm at, I'm at arrive.com, A-R-R-I-V.com. Uh, link for that in the show notes. But, you know, you're talking about getting... Now, I think this is something that any listener is going to wrap their arms around because you make it faster to check in too, right? Yep. I mean, is that how many people listening have are sitting at the have sat at the doctor's office after filling out the same forms again and again and again and have wondered, is there a better way to do this? You know, but but you know, we're, 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 here we are talking about improving your sales cycle. But I think so many people get stuck in the front side of like, well, I got to get a click. I got to get the cheapest click. I got to get this. I got to get that. But if you can't, if you bring people to a landing page experience that sucks, it's usually game over, isn't it? Yeah, it's, t- it's tough. And a lot of other landing, exper- landing page experience is critical. And then once you, I mean, once you've acquired, right, the consumer in your web properties, why would you ever want them to leave? So other things like, you know, linking out to maybe an unknown third-party website, um, slow load times, excess information at this point of check-in that they're yeah. no doubt going to have to give two, three more times once they present at the facility. Yeah. These things just take time, pr- produce some ambiguity in the experience and ultimately lead lead to drop-off. But well, yeah. a, big, a big thing in this day and age too is just the mobile compatibility, and <laughs> you know, and it's it's like, I mean, half of the people that are searching, and in your case, I would think that a lot, that you would probably have an even higher mobile percentage yeah. because if I hurt myself, like here, you can see on my camera, I've got a big slice yeah, on yeah. my hand. Where did that occur? I was out in the middle of the country riding on a gator which is a cart in the middle of the country. And there was a tree branch in my way. And I pushed it out of the way because I didn't want it to hit my kids who are in the back. And there was a thorn on it. And it, I mean, it runs all the way down my forearm and everything. Now, that said, I didn't deem that this was ER worthy, but this happened over a week ago. I still got a big slice on my hand. I'm bleeding out in the middle of nowhere. Had I decided to go to an ER department, first off, where the hell is one? And second off, if I, let's just be realistic, I'm 20 miles outside of South Kansas City. I might be halfway to your hometown of Tulsa at this point. Who knows? <laughs> but, it, but that isn't where you're going to get your strongest bandwidth and stuff like that. So you got to be able to have things load quickly and and have an experience on someone's phone that isn't like, oh my God, why is this so painful? Why is this so slow? Why doesn't this? And you know, while that might sound easy. It's not right. It's not. I build software. I have been doing that for 15 years. And the problem is, is all of you have a different kind of phone. You have a different iPhone. You have a different Android phone. You have a different phone size. You, some people are still for reasons I can't explain using the Safari browser. Um, you know, and these are the things that drive software developers crazy, but all of these things all come into play and, and affect your sales fund your sales cycle and your sales funnel and its efficiency. Yeah. The, we, we see almost 80% of the traffic through our product come from a mobile device. Um, yeah. and a lot through 
Google Maps to a specific landing page. And so having all of that cleaned up is crucial. An interesting piece you just mentioned about the different technographic profile of each user as well. And so that's something that we invested pretty heavily in finding that, you know, this one size fits all approach. We had a hypothesis early on that that just isn't going to cut it, especially when we're looking to get better year over year and really drive same store growth. And so for us, this web traffic conversion rate um, and then continuing to make that better is crucial to help them to help these health systems, hospitals continue to capture more patients through these digital efforts. And so we find that we might have a, we'll have a client in the same metro area, right? Say within Austin or Dallas or El Paso, and they might have, you know, eight facilities scattered out throughout Austin. And the leading user interface in North Austin facility is a little different than the leading converting user interface in South Austin. And it's because the patients that they serve make up a different technographic profile. So some, the North Austin facility might have iPhone mobile Safari users and user interface A converts the highest there, uh, where South Austin has a lot of Android Chrome hmm. users and user interface B converts the highest there. And so not only is the experience optimized for the things that we mentioned earlier, but it actually goes into a backend algorithm. We have a library of user interfaces. We give them all a shot in the beginning and then let the algorithm sort it out to see which one converts the highest as the users continue to use it. You mentioned El Paso as we were talking where, you know, if you're not aware of where El Paso is, it touches Mexico. Yep. Like you cross the river into Mexico. If you want to go visit from El Paso, do you also have to take, uh, I, would, I would imagine that you probably have to give some consideration to language. Certainly. Yeah, certainly language considerations. Those are all those are all great. I would say they from our experience, those would be a, a tier two consideration. The tier one would be more around, you know, the mobile optimization, the yeah. the intuitive display, the different the dynamic user interfaces. But yeah, that certainly has an impact and definitely a greater impact depending on the geographic location, like yeah. you mentioned. Yeah, one of the things I'm glad you mentioned this because I wanted to keep moving down our own sales cycle during this conversation is, you know, we've talked all about, hey, this is okay, we get the click, we want them to have a good landing page experience. And then you mentioned like, getting them back. Right now that how does that work in an, in an emergency setting? Is that wanting to just keep your your facility front of mind if and when needed? Yeah, it, it's really, it's, that's a great question. So the, the typical user profile from the patient perspective um, is net new, right? So the far majority of the patients using a product like ours, where they're searching online for care, they're going to be net new patients to that hospital or that health system. It's because they don't have a plan, right? And so we actually have this breakdown where it's, you know, six, I'm going to use round numbers here, but like 60% of patients they're coming in anyway, right? They know you're their go-to place. They're going to walk into that ER. 20%, they have maybe had been there before, but they're kind of on the fence and they really value a high-quality digital experience. If they can get some insights into what's the best time for them to come, um, what services you offer, et cetera, you could sway them to go somewhere else. And we see that a lot in patient surveys and, and um, ethnographic research, user interviews, et cetera. 
Then the other 20% is, you know, the biggest opportunity for lost revenue if you're not capturing these patients is they're completely net new. They don't know where to go. 100% are starting a starting their journey from a digital search. So it's very within that you're competing mostly for that 20% because they're the folks that are really the 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 moat that count for the most of that landing page traffic in their decision making process on where to get care. Right. They might have a couple different tabs open. They might be on Google Maps clicking on a couple different pins to see which is which instills the confidence in them where they feel that they're making the best decision to go and get their care. But primarily it, it's it's net new patients. And then otherwise it, it helps just keep the the hospital on the cusp of a high quality digital experience. So the people that even though they may be retained patients, they continue to value that um, and want to utilize a tool like that. And of course, over time, if you continue to not provide an experience like that, it will erode and that they may be up for grabs down the road. So yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about the importance of tracking uh, success within your own sales cycle. Before we do that, I want to remind everyone that finding expert software developers does not have to be difficult, especially when you go to fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the Fullscale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. You can find a link in the show notes to go to fullscale.io. While you're down there, click the arrive.com link and learn more about what Alex is building at his company. Now, as I've mentioned, you know, the, the importance of tracking your success or failure in a sales cycle is obviously going to lead you to your ability to say, here's five things that aren't working. Here's three things that are. Let's focus on the three things that are working. It's to me, it feel, I feel like with you guys probably have or have had to overcome challenges with that because and if, when you're driving people to the ER setting, in some cases, I would imagine they probably just click the thing, figure out where it's at. And you're talking about instilling confidence and improving the digital experience. But in some cases, when it's an emergency, they're probably just looking for a location and they start driving, which means, which means that your conversion metrics similar to mine. So it's the same thing at full scale. Like a lot of people listen to this podcast and the only way we have, we have a very simple onboarding process as well, but there's some things that it's hard to track the entry point. And I get, we get kind of stuck just asking at the end of the form, what drove you here? So is that, is that a challenge that arrived? Yeah, for us, not terribly because the dynamics of the ER are, are, are interesting. And just because you like what you mentioned, we don't expect somebody who's having chest pain or a really high acuity issue to be doing a digital search at that point, right? right? So it's okay. more that kind of that. Like I mentioned, that 20% of the entire patient panel that you're serving is really the ones who are honed in on this online search. But of course, people, very high acuity ailment, dial in 911, as you should, or just going to the nearest hospital. And that will always persist for this type of care setting. Um, but really, the, the competition for the kind of mid-tier acuity patient where, man, my I have this stomach pain, you know, the classic appendix example where it kind of hurts, but it's the middle of the night. Maybe I should go now. Maybe I shouldn't. Um, those folks start a care journey online or like sprains, breaks, rashes, those types of things. But yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting too, because just sales cycle specifically, the product that we deliver 
is for such a transactional element, right? Like for our clients, for these health systems and hospitals, it's such a quick and transactional sales cycle. And then for us personally on the company side to get our product in is such a long drawn out oh, yeah. enterprise sales cycle. And so, you know, well, let's, let's talk about that for a second. Cause mine's the same way, you yeah. know, like, um, you know, at full scale, we service, we help you build software teams and that's rarely a quote emergency, right? You know, and honestly, when it is an emergency, that's a red flag for us. Cause we want to know why, why are you suddenly in this situation where your sale, where your development team turned into vapor? Right. And I say that because did you have a poor relationship with another company similar to ours? Are you having a hard time keeping people on your own team for whatever of a hundred reasons they could be? You know, maybe, well, like Tulsa is a good example because Tulsa is actually one of those cities that's been super proactive at trying to drive businesses like yours into Tulsa. Yeah. Tulsa, Tulsa will pay you as a software developer to come move to Tulsa. That's really cool. Yeah. And it is really cool, but it's also like, wow, it kind of shows you like, that's what my, that's the, okay. Not everybody has that going on in their city. And by the way, there's no way that that has worked to the level that it filled the gap, the negative unemployment rate that every U S market has when it comes to its shortage of software developers. So sometimes it's market conditions. Sometimes it's a lot of different things. And you know what we run into sometimes when it's that quote emergency, it's because the, the, the prospect company that's inquiring might not have paid their last vendor. Ah, I see. And they got cut off. So, you know, like you never know, but it's almost never an emergency. And with us, it's also not one of those things where you have, we have a 0% chance by our decision to sell anything on that first contact. Yeah. Cause we want to talk to people. They have to, we have to learn more about them. We have to find the appropriate service providers. If they want to interview our team, these things take, I mean, they can only take a couple of days in some spots, but sometimes uh, we have people that inqu- that might inquire today and a year from today, they become a client mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Yep. You know, so, so that, that, that is the opposite of the emergency cycle. And now you mentioned uh, getting any type of new system into something like a hospital. Oh man, that sounds excruciating. It is. Yeah. It's, it's almost really like saying the same thing. So I used to many, many, many years ago, I worked in the music industry and I worked for the world's largest maker of electronic musical instruments. And through our stores, vendors, and outlets, we sold a lot of stuff through government sources, meaning schools, primarily schools, colleges, and whatever. And oh my God, do I not miss that process? Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, it really was excruciating talking about like, uh, it was in North and South Carolina during some of that. And, you know, you look at all these different school districts and at the time, this is a long time ago, things are hopefully more sophisticated there. Now you couldn't actually apply as a vendor at all of the state's school districts. So if you wanted to sell a piano to one school district and then the next one next to it, there was a different process for going through that. And in some cases, there might have been two. There might have been like a statewide and then a district wide. And oh my God, was it slow and excruciating. It made you not want to sell things on some days. <laughs> you yeah. described a lot of the things that we face. I mean, a lot of health consolidation has been going on for years now within the health system market. And so a lot of them are almost set up like that, where there's a corporate entity 
that own regional health systems. They may or may not be under the same name. Yeah. And the dynamic for each one is different. And and what I mean by that is the really the umbrella organization, the structure of it all is different. One, one you know, health system A, all decisions could run through their corporate entity. Health system B, they might have a corporate entity with presence in six different states and each region has decision-making power. And so you find that it's really tough to make a reproducible processes for particular buyer personas because even similar titles could mean different things within different health systems. And so yeah, it certainly presents its own set of challenges. I once had someone that came, it's in my world, it's not uncommon for people to want to quote, run an idea by me. Okay. So someone was, had this, had this idea about something and they wanted to sell it to, to insurance companies. And I was like, dude, you might be looking at like a three year cycle here. Yeah. And he was like, well, what do you mean? I was like, well, do you know anybody that's a decision maker at blue cross blue shield? Like, no, I'm like, that might be your first year. Yeah. Figuring out exactly who in a massive, massive company, where do you start? And then, you know, and like, I mean, a lot of that stuff, and I think a lot of startup founders and businesses in general don't give enough, they die on the vine because they don't give enough consideration to how long it might actually take to make a sale. Yeah. It's, uh, we, we were talking with this one group and it, it, this was for the, the point of contact What wasn't, wouldn't was not directly involved in our buying process, but it was more, you know, you could take, you'll take any touch point you get, especially if it's an introduction. And so we got an introduction to this person and we're talking to them and they work for one of the, you know, one of the larger health systems in the country. And his comment at the end was just, Hey man, just, just hang on, just survive. <laughs> you're going right. to have to be around for a couple of years for uh to get a shot here. And the thing I tell everyone is just try not to get discouraged and hear that again, people, you might have on. to be around for a couple years to get yeah. a shot. And that's a, that's a real thing. And that's, that, that doesn't surprise me at all. That, that echoes kind of what I was saying with the music stuff. And it's just like, there's, there's a process. And now that said, um, once we got approved or some of the, so that would be part of my job was trying to help one of our, you know, stores or vendors or clients, whatever you wanted to call them, navigate that process. Now, once you navigated it and you were an approved vendor, there was a ton, you would actually win and get sales. Cause there's the thing the people on the other side of that transaction, like the lady that's the music teacher at XYZ elementary school, she goes to, they, they may have a budget for that. And, Someone's saying to her, pick someone off this approved vendors list because you don't you don't want to have to go through the process of getting someone else started on that. Totally. So, so actually, one of the things that we did was preemptively begin to recommend that all of the this was one of the ideas that I had in, in that region. I was like, well, we should tell everybody that could possibly sell our product to go ahead and apply to be a vendor on the state and local level. So you're ready and you might actually just stumble into sales yep. and some, some places did it and some places don't, but I know that we definitely made sales because some people were on the list one time or ever, but yeah. That, so that's going to be different in every, um, in every shape and form. And in your case, you're also dealing with 
anytime you have medical or health stuff, there's a whole bunch of other crap you got to deal with. It's not as straightforward. You got HIPAA compliance and data privacy and there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff you got to lock down. How, how, How did that go for you? Yeah, big time. I mean, there's a lot of liability on their end and they're very risk adverse and and for good reasons, right? And you, your example with the music teacher, I mean, it, you hit the nail on the head. It's like the the people who are buying and evaluating your software, newsflash, their full-time job isn't to evaluate and buy your software. Their full-time job is they're j- probably juggling 12 other things and just trying to make it through their own day and hit their own internal KPIs and be successful and grow within their organization. And so you have to have a ton of empathy for that and do yep. and do whatever you possibly can to remove friction in the buying process for them. Because like you said, it could be... It's just one you, more thing for them to do. It's, it's just one more thing to do. And if you make it hard and complicated, it's even if there's value there, it's 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 not it's going to be overlooked. But, so, but making it hard, not hard and complicated, in my opinion, as a general tenet of just selling more stuff in general, the more you'll hear me say, if you spend enough time around me, you're going to hear me say something along the lines of, we got to remove all these obstacles between the buyer and the cash register. Like, and, and, you know, we're in this instant culture where you can buy something with one click at Amazon and have it on your porch later that day. Yep. Which still blows my mind, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really does. But think about that. That sets a standard for um, everything. It has sets a standard for the ease of use of, so, so it's, it's, it's a simple, uh, when it comes to improving your sales cycle is having the fewest amount of steps humanly or even electronically possible. Yep. Is that, is that one of the things that you guys have focused on? Yeah, big time. I mean, anything we can do to expedite, and that could be a variety of different things that could be additional compliance certifications that you don't necessarily need to have for your product to function. But if you have them, that could remove, you know, one to six months of IT and compliance evaluation, right? So from that end, all the way to just making every single meeting productive, not productive for you, but productive for your buyer. Like I think the discovery process just sets the tone. Like you were mentioning before, the discovery process should not be about us qualifying the just simply selfishly qualifying the buyer that they're a good fit for us. When we're on a call, we have, you know, an 80 to 90% confidence that this person can get extreme value from our product. So at that point, it's just helping to uncover, diagnose problems that they may or may not have thought about, probably not because we operate in this particular niche. And so really just uncovering those to show the true value of the solution and then make it worthwhile for them to invest time or stick their neck out and champion the deal. You know, all these things that you need from the buyer to push the deal through. And because we're going to saddle up for six, six months to two and a half years, that's kind of the range of our sales cycle at this point from what we've experienced. So there needs to be value there and they need to be bought into it. I've got an example when you talk about onboarding and I mentioned I'm a little bit of an onboarding nerd, but you know, sometimes we as designers of products and software um, don't, we put things out of order and a great example 
is, all right, so when you look at a, a mailing form and you're going to put your name, your address, your city, your state, and then the last thing is the zip code. You know, if you ask the zip code first, you can fill in like automatically fill in like five other fields. Yeah. I, I know what city and state you're in. Um, I know what currency you use. I know what time zone you're in. Like there's a lot, I, I might know the approximate distance from where you're at to where I'm at. And these are things, especially in a mobile environment where, you know, like I got to oh, click, 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 click. And I'm sitting here wearing eyeglasses today because at my near 50 years old of age, I don't see as well. I fat finger things. I'm just saying like, you know, you, you but you, the order that you ask things and do you even need to ask them at all as, as a big part. And that's what can speed things up. Big time. Those yeah. little, some of those the quote unquote little things. I mean, let's say we're onboarding a group that has 35 ERs throughout six states. We need their facility information yeah. from a basic perspective to get those built on the back end of our software. And you set it up for them after they give yeah, you that. I mean, what world would yeah. we send them a spreadsheet to go yeah. and fill out their facility address yeah. when we can just look all that up online? Yep. So yep. Things, things like that. If but you, dude, this is lazy data. shit that people yeah. don't do, like a lot. Like yep. here's the thing is it's back to that. Always ask yourself, am I giving my buyer one more thing to do? Cause it, it is that, that it's that, it's that sales, it's empathy for the buyer. And it's that intuitive nature of sales. The easier you make it for people to buy something, the more people are going to buy something from you. The easier you make it for people to help you, the more help you're going to get. Yep. It's that simple. And some of that in, in these particular talk about your sales cycle, and this is where your salespeople or you can mess it up. I like to lead with that. Like our, one of our, our at full scale, uh, build your software team quickly and affordably. Like those quickly and affordably are two, two very important parts of our process because we know and understand that you as a startup or an established business or whoever you got, you got a million other things going on. You don't come and hire a company and work with a company like full scale because you want to embrace the full process that you would go through without us. So, you know, we only hire one in 42 applicants, for example, what, what is the true value of our service? It, we're eliminating your need to first off find 42 candidates. Cause that can be difficult itself. Yeah. And then how do you get the 40 or 41 of them out of the way that you didn't want on your team anyway? That's that direct path to like, it's kind of like what you guys do in some regards, like let us put you in the best experience as quickly as possible, even if you, whether you need it an hour later. Yep. And, you know, and, and that's the thing. So, it, it, and so what are we selling? We're selling peace of mind. You figure out a way to sell peace of mind. You've got, you've got, then you've got something. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find it challenging? Because I mean, that's a. Do you find it challenging to get your buyers to truly extrapolate the value of the piece in mind? Right. Sometimes, sometimes they don't think about it. So we get, you know, I as an entrepreneur, I've, I've over these last few years, especially, I've really focused on this concept of listen to the echo. And so you like in your sales process or or any process, you're going to hear an echo. It's the same questions asked again and again and again. It's the same value propositions questioned 
or, you know, any of that. And, you know, for us, so my, I have 300 employees in the Philippines. So we get the same questions. Do they speak English? Do they work on our time zone? Are they going to be any good? Mm-hmm. You know, and so some of that with that, we've reshaped the whole value proposition and the whole presentation. I, I consider it a huge compliment when I talk to someone and in like less than a minute, I'm able to tell them all the things that they know. And at the end of that minute, I hear something like, thanks, that answered almost all of my questions or all of my questions. And that's yeah. that efficiency of understanding that, you know, because it's the same questions again and again and again. And and for us, like one of the things we'll run into is oftentimes um, people have had, so they can go to the peace of mind thing goes two ways. So if you ask, have you ever worked with an offshore team before? And they say, yeah, and we had a horrible experience. Okay, well, our number one, our number one goal is to make sure that doesn't happen for you again. Mm hmm. You know, yeah. and that's the thing is so so they have they that they've experienced the opposite of peace of mind. And now there can be a couple of ways to climb over that. I mean, obviously they're on the call with you and they know what you do at that point. So they're not completely terrified of the concept, but you sometimes you gotta climb over other people's failures to deal with it. Oh, big time. It that's I, I like that. I'm sure you run into that too. Well, we tried a system like this and it was a of course. It was yep. terrible. And that's great. I love hearing that because you can really break down. They felt the pain already yeah. and they understand the importance of the peace of mind. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. so like your example, I thought was interesting because for me, if I'm thinking about hiring another product person, engineering person, salesperson, whatever it may be, hiring a person you could think about some subset of challenges that it takes to get from job description right up to hiring and everything in between. But you don't think of it like, uh, it's you know, it's going to be hard, but it's not as grueling of a process in your mind versus the opposite of that, of what you just said of not interviewing and not hiring 41 people to get to that one person. That is just a different framing of it. And is a lot more impactful. But it's the truth. That's that's what you're paying for. And then in some situations for us, it's also keeping that seat full. Yeah. Yeah. Because the idea that you're going to, the one thing I can tell you is you have a 0% chance of hiring anyone that will work for your company for eternity. Right. Unless we figured out how to live forever. (laughs) <laughs> you know, but with that, you know, that's okay. Cause things change and maybe your needs as a company change, or maybe you need more people or whatever. And there's a lot of ways to go around that. What I do know is that people that run technology companies are usually at least decent at building their own technology, but that doesn't mean, you know, anything about hiring people. Right. You may, you know, and that's a whole nother process, man. There's a whole, and some of that it's like, I'll give you an example. Like we don't hire people that don't speak English. Right. Because all of our clients are English speaking companies. So like, you know, understanding what could frustrate a buyer. And that doesn't mean there aren't great developers out there that don't speak English because there certainly are. We tell them we can't hire them all the time. Yeah. You know, so some of that's about understanding what, what, what pops and what doesn't. So I told you before we hit record that these these recordings go by pretty quick. And here we are at the end of the show. I just looked at the time and yeah. I the same thing. Yeah. Once again with me today, I've got Alex Zuby, the CEO and co-founder of Arrive. They are on Startup Hustle's top 
Tulsa startups, go to arrive.com. That's A-R-R-I-V.com. There's a link in the show notes for that. Uh, you know, before we do the founders freestyle, I want to remind everyone, if you need to hire software engineers, testers, and leaders, let full scale help We've talked enough about full scale in this episode, but these were comparable examples and go to fullscale.io to learn more. Now, um, I like to end my episodes to start a puzzle with founders and, and give doing the founders freestyle where I hand over the mic, but it's easy to sometimes with, as mentioned, I, I warn everyone before the show starts, cause I had mentioned the founders freestyle at the end, like, well, what should I talk about? Probably the stuff that stood out or the stuff that you forgot to say. So or whatever. I've had people rap, sing, poetry. <laughs> I mean, I've been shocked. Uh, but but as we uh, as we round out this episode of Startup Puzzle, I mean, what do you want to say on the way out, Alex? Yeah, well, I mean, I enjoyed the conversation. It absolutely flew by. So so thanks for having me. I think uh, you mentioned it before a little bit, but specific to Tulsa, there's some really cool programs going on there through the George Kaiser Family foundation at Tulsa remote when it's not specific to software developers, it's really across the board. Um, they're doing programs where they pay people $10,000 to relocate to Tulsa. So I would just say Tulsa is a cool city. Um, and if anybody's considering a move, they should check out some of those programs and see what it has to offer. Tulsa reminds me a lot of Kansas city 10 years ago or Does it? even, yeah, a little longer. Cause you know, Kansas city, we got Google fiber. Okay. And that, and so, and a lot of people don't even think about that now, but the Kansas city was the very first city in the United States to have citywide fiber internet and Google okay. chose Kansas city out of like hundreds of cities. It was funny. Topeka, Kansas actually renamed the city for a day to Google Kansas to try to get attention, any of that. So, but, but with that, you know, this, this, this accessibility to this new bandwidth and all these other things, it, it drew a lot of people, including myself. So I'm from Kansas city, but at the time I was living in Indianapolis and my wife and I were, you know, looking at a lot of different things and we ended up moving to Kansas city. Uh, that was one of the reasons, but, um, you know, it created this really, um, interesting offering. Now with Tulsa, I've seen, multiple companies from Kansas city relocate to Tulsa to take advantage of the, of the plans. You know, one of them is, is on the list with you. That's bottle learning. Okay. Uh, Clarence and Edna uh, were, were doing really well here in Kansas city and, and saw an amazing offering that, that Tulsa had. Now, for those of you listening, whether it's Tulsa or anywhere else, there's a lot of this stuff going on. And, and, I think as an entrepreneur, you know, I mean, I mean, I've, I've done like a whole circle around the United States in my lifetime because opportunity is best when pursued. Love you know, that. Figure out where that opportunity is for you, whether it's Tulsa, Kansas City. I, I don't know, but it is almost right now always the, the places that are aggressively seeking your presence. And where would you rather run a business where the city and the community and everything is trying to cater to your needs or somewhere else where you are in this uphill climb to exist. Yeah. I mean, the, the rest is you got enough uphill climbs to battle with starting yeah. a company, running a company. So why not Did make you start in Tulsa? Easier? Yeah. So my two business partners are from Tulsa. Okay. They, they, they uh, 
they run another company there and that's how that's how we got our roots there so but, and it's but, been great but tulsa's drawing people in i mean if there's a couple instances just from kansas city that means there's a couple from a lot of different oh, big places time. yeah and that's good because you get that supporting infrastructure and things around you there's more grant money um and then another thing too is is look people that are going to invest in companies like yours or others or any of that um it, you know Tulsa is becoming a target rich environment. Yeah, it's uh, it's been really cool to see. Yeah. It's, uh, I think it's just the beginning for it. Well, congrats again on making it on our top startups list. I love what you're doing and uh, I'll catch up with you down the road. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.